Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of end friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Little known fact about my guest today, when I first met her, she was one of the most hilarious actresses. Every time I ran into her, I laughed. Every time I got to see her on stage, I was blown away by her ability to create hilarious, three-dimensional, nuanced, brilliant characters. But she got to a point in her life where she just wasn't feeling fulfilled by the jobs. And at her husband's suggestion, one summer, She called Joe Mantello, the great director, and said, hey, can I observe or assist you this summer at the Williamstown Theater Festival? And Joe said yes. And that was the beginning. The seeds were planted uh, for Jessica to become a director. And she's now represented on Broadway as a director with Kimberly Akimbo. She has become one of the sought-after directors of our generation And I am so honored to welcome theater director Jessica Stone to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Jessica Stone. Jessica worked as an actress on and off Broadway in television and in film for decades before transitioning to directing. Although I want to rephrase that. Along with acting, she is now also directing. Her Broadway credits include Anything Goes, Butley, The Odd Couple, The Smell of the Kill, Designed for Living, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, and Grease. Her directing career began in earnest with her all-male 2010 production of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum for the Williamstown Theater Festival. She has since been directing all over the country. She is currently the director of the Broadway smash hit Kimberly Akimbo, a musical that is intimate, heartbreaking, and hilarious in equal parts. I just saw it again. I love it so much. It moves me deeply. So do you, Jessica Stone. Welcome to the podcast, my dear, dear friend. I'm so happy to catch up with you. Thank you. I'm really happy to catch up with you, too. I'm just happy to I'm happy to see your face. I'm happy to hear your voice. It's been a long time. I know. It's been, it's been a long time of knowing each other when we were single, when we were married, when we were moms of little babies and toddlers and school age and like checking in over the years. I'm not 
yet at empty nest. I'm not. I, you are not yet. You would know. Don't even ask with a question mark. Uh, right. You will know. Um, I have one out and one still in. So I'm, I'm, you know, experiencing it, but with like the soft landing of still a boy at home. Um, once that happens, uh, gosh, I can't even, I don't know. I'm going to look at it as an exciting new chapter, as opposed to I'm going to get into bed for the next 20 years. That's, that's how I'm going to look at it. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, my mother-in-law said this to me and she was totally right that when you have, when your kids are little babies, time goes really, really quickly. And then they hit like, you know, five or six. And from that point until about 12, time goes at a, just a normal pace. You're right. just like, it doesn't feel like it races by. It doesn't feel like it's crawling. It's just like normal pace. And then they're 12 and then they're married. <laughs> like it goes really quickly. I know. I know. I'm just remembering now. I think the last time I saw your boys, um, our kids were doing like a local after school theater class. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm still picturing them at that age, but I'm sure they're much more adolescent. I know. Well, are, they might be the same age, right? Are they, or maybe Caleb might be a year older than Charlie. Caleb is 16. Yeah. Charlie's 15. Okay. But still, right. Charlie's 15. Um, all right. Well, Charlie uh, has been learning to adapt to a mom who has become uh, someone I like to consider um, the hottest director on Broadway and wow. and beyond. And I am picturing you uh, in June Moon, one of the first things I ever saw you in with Jeffrey Knopfs and so many of our amazing friends back in the day. So I want to talk about specifically Kimberly Akimbo. And then I also just want to know how even that production of Forum happened that then led to this incredible, incredible career. Um, I saw Kimberly Akimbo at Atlantic and I thought it was so perfectly housed in that I love the Atlantic theater space and I love how creatively you guys designed your show to fit in that space. And I wondered when I was going to go see it on Broadway, happily, if it would lose sort of the intimacy, because it's like a really small, it reminded me in some weird way of your good man, Charlie Brown, like this small cast of characters in this big story, trying to fill a Broadway theater. Um, it It's kind of transitioned really as an audience member seamlessly, I'd love to go back and find out how you got involved with this show um, from day one, like as much of the story as you can tell. Yeah, well, um, I was actually directing David Lindsay Bear's play Ripcord at the Huntington. Um, this was, I don't remember the year and that's always a boring part of the story anyway, but it was like 2017-ish. And, um, and I thought, I, I want to do right by him because he's a Boston boy. And so, um, and we had the same agent. And so I was like, do you think he would have coffee with me? I just want to make sure that I'm, you know, I think I have a sense of how I want to tell this tale, but I just want to hear from him what's important to him. Right. And we had a cup of coffee and had such a good time. We just got on like a house on fire. And I mean, we just really, um, 
we he really made me laugh and uh we just had a blast talking and gossiping and and talking about his play and and um and so that was the sort of beginning of it and they did a little um they did a little first act pass at it at Sundance Theater Lab and they had reached out to see if I was available and I wasn't I was doing something else but they were like, eh, we're not really looking for a director yet anyway. We just kind of want to be in our own cocoon. Uh, right. And which I think was so smart because they were able to, you know, not have anybody else's fingerprints on it for a minute. So they could really zero in on the story that they were telling. Right. And, and how to adapt this play because it had been a play. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually was Janine's idea. They had worked together on Shrek. Uh, and then, and they wanted a, a different experience from the one that they had in Shrek. I think there was a lot about Shrek that was very rewarding and very challenging, but they wanted as a, as a collaborating team, we're like, let's find something. And just, it's just going to be the two of us, nobody else breathing down our neck, telling us what the needs of the piece are like, let's just, it be us. And so, um, and Janine, there were, she was like, well, why don't we look at some of your plays? And she's the one who kind of reached out for Kimberly Akimbo. And I remember when I had that coffee with, we call him Dila, because we had a lot of Davids in our company, of producers and set designers and playwrights. And so we call him Dila. Um, but uh, I remember when he and I were having coffee and he said he was going to do this musical adaptation of uh, Kimberly Akimbo. And I gasped and I, I never imagined that I would be connected to it. But I remember thinking, and I said it to him, I was just like, oh my God, that, that play sings. That's a great idea. What a great idea. I love that play. And that was the end of it. What about my sniffling on a podcast? This is where we say our, our, my guest today is Jessica Stone and she has a sinus infection. I do. And I'm afraid I sound like Edith Ann. God, which by the way, makes me sound like I'm 900 years old. Um, Cause that is an old reference. Um, anyway. Google it guys, Google it. Yeah. Uh, so then they did the Sunday Theater Lab and it, and it came back around about a year later and uh, David Stone called me and said, hey, we're doing this. Would you want to come? And, you know, David and Janine, did a 29 hour reading that they just cobbled together. You want to come and have a listen. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. And, uh, and then it started from there. And then we did some developmental stuff and, um, you know, like a, another 29 hour thing and a four week, like, how do we stage this thing? You yeah. know, it's in a million different locations. And, and, uh, what's interesting is we didn't initially end act one with ice skating. It ended at a birthday party and it was like a, I think it was a game of Twister. And um, and so once that was, the, the opening number was always Skater Planet. Okay. Once, once we decided that's actually a really amazing metaphor and let's see that through, then it became about how does this thing move? Mm-hmm. And I want to feel like we're sort of gliding and colliding um, from one scene into the next. And so once we brought David's in, uh, on board, it became about how do we sort of both seamlessly and clunkily go from location to location and how, how I wanted to feel for the most part, like it's manhandled by the company and that, you know, because life is 
beautiful and painful and effortless and effortful all in any given moment. So I wanted to feel like we were sort of manhandling right. a little bit and kind of pushing our way through life. Um, so uh, that's how that began at the Atlantic, but it was tricky because there's no fly space, there's no trap space, there's no wing space. So that was um, its own challenge. And it was a nail biter moving to Broadway because you know, I was excited for, I was excited to finally get to things that I always imagined. I was wondering. It happened in the show. Yes. I always yeah. imagined that after her terrible day at science class, that her wish comes true and this table comes up from underneath the deck and it turns and we couldn't do that at the Atlantic. So right. I was happy to have some of the things that were on the wish list. Should we have, should we be lucky enough to move forward? Yeah. I was thrilled to have that, but we all were worried that we would lose what was charming. You know, when you're, when you have all of those parameters, uh, you're really forced to pay attention to the most important elements of the story. Right. So right. we didn't want to lose that in the movie, right. you know? Well, first of all, I'm from Teaneck and anytime you hear the name of your town, which is rarely referenced in a show immediately, it feels like, oh, this is, I know these people, um, but I really do know these people. But the thing that's extraordinary, and maybe you can just talk a little bit about it because I'm coming to it from this assumption that everyone who listens to this has seen it, but that's just my wish. Someone who lives very far away, perhaps in Dubai, has not yet seen this right. production of Kimberly Akimbo. So can you just, I know at this point, you're probably very skilled in like the elevator pitch about what this play or musical, I should say, is. Can you share that? Yes. And it's occurring to me that my last literal monologue about like stagecraft of Kimberly Akimbo is probably so boring to someone who doesn't know what it's about or hasn't seen it, but well, good luck. Um, <laughs> it... it Kimberly Akimbo is really about the choices that you make with the time that you have left. And, you know, none of us know how much time we have left, but we all know that it's finite. And um, so it's really about the, the choices that you make with the time you have left. That's the sort of mission statement. The narrative is it's a young girl who has a fictional um, disease that makes her age at uh, four and a half times the the rate that she typically would. And so she's actually played by, you have a, a 15 slash 16 year old girl played by a woman in her sixties, could be seventies, could be eighties. Right. Um, and, uh, and she, her disease is such that she, she doesn't have much longer because she's aging so quickly. She doesn't have right. much longer. And she, is born into a deeply flawed family who love her, but have terrible skills. And so they, um, they don't take great care of her and, uh, and she's moved to a new town and, and it's her, her quest to find sort of friendship and, and uh, to break out of the, the sort of the, the, her walled in life. And what's really amazing listeners, is that, you know, there's a love story at the center of this play as well, which is, you know, it's sort of teenage love. 
you know, when you think about the woman at the center of it, it's like when you talk about dog ears, like we say seven and you're like, but in dog ears, my dog is really, and I feel like in some ways we're looking at an actress who is remarkable at playing a teen. There's something about um, Victoria Clark. She's just been able to inhabit with such honesty and elegance and dignity uh, the life of a teen as, you know, as Jess said, in a much more mature woman's body and she's channeling a teenage girl really effortlessly to the to the audience's eye but I want to talk about the fact that and you guys can google clips there's all kinds of stuff out there that you can get a sense of the tone and and the world that Jessica has created with this beautiful company um but I want to talk about how you navigate dealing with I don't know if your actors are really teens or just people in their early 20s who can look like teens um but that is incredibly effective and feels very real. And then you have this woman who, as you said, is in her 60s um, playing a teen with real teens. So talk about the casting process and how you were able to find this, this company of, of beautiful, beautiful, talented artists. How did that all come together? They are beautiful, talented artists. I love every last one of them. Um, we, we searched for a long time, uh, at many, many different just colleges and the Jimmy awards. And, um, Mm -hmm. uh, we searched all over the place for those teens. There's five of them. There's a quartet and then there's her, her friend, Seth. And, um, we have a little bit of a, a mix, but we it, it was really important to me that if if your central character, if we're being asked to believe that she's a teen and she's played by an older woman, that we have the real thing around her. So we worked really hard. It it becomes tricky to surround her with actual, especially in, in the development process. We learned this. Like um, if you surround her with actual 15 and 16-year-olds, the skill set is not quite there. Um, sometimes it is, sometimes they're, sure. young, but, um, it's not quite there. And so we found a sweet spot in the older, like 18, 19, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they've since gotten a little bit older <laughs> as, <laughs> as over the years, but, but I love them so much. Uh, and Justin in particular, who plays Seth, he, we found him. I mean, we looked all over the place and saw some really amazing kids, Yeah, and, but it was about who, you know, it's a very specific part and skill set. And then who's right against Vicky and um, or alongside Vicky. Um, and we found Justin actually sort of at the 11th hour, we had seen Bernie Telsey, the casting director, sent me this little clip of like the Jimmy Awards finalist. And I saw this little clip of him. He wasn't even singing or dancing or singing or acting. He was dancing. And I was like, who is, he was so um, sort of, handsome and also completely goofy mm-hmm. and and just open and he auditioned we did it through zoom and he was supposed to be going to college and i initially thought i don't know if we should bring him in for a callback because i'm worried that he doesn't have the skill set and that he's green mm-hmm. i don't want to give his mother a heart attack mm-hmm. like <laughs> calling him yes. for a callback and we're still at the tail end of a pandemic and I don't yeah. know that we need to make this kid fly. And, you know, I'm not sold. And actually others were like, no, let's bring him in. You know, David Stone and Bernie and uh, David and Janine, they were like, let's, let's, let's bring him in and have a look. And thank God. And we had a, a pretty uh, healthy debate over it because I was very worried. I didn't want 
this kid who was supposed to go to college. Uh, I, I, I was worried that if he didn't have the skill set, I didn't want him to be buried under the rubble of, wow. you know, right. all of it. Of that experience. Yeah. But he just had, it's a great part. And he, it, it's a great match of like spirit and part. And to his unbelievable credit, like he, uh, it was probably the second week of rehearsal, maybe beginning of the third week. And he was not understanding some stuff and struggling. And he advocated for himself. He came up to me and was just like, I think I need some time alone with you. Um, can we set aside a couple of hours in, you know, in the day? And I just need to like ask a bunch of questions. And he just, he didn't want to take up space in the middle of the room in front of mm-hmm. everybody. And there was something about him. We we set aside a couple of hours, the two of us, and went through the whole thing. And he asked all these questions and he got on his feet and he tried all these different things and something just clicked. And he got and it. He got it. And he, he once he realized that he didn't have to play a character that he actually is himself. Right. <laughs> you know, but that's that's a hard thing to understand, yeah. to intuit, right? Yes. And honestly, the next chapter that's remarkable about him is he's so consistent. He is like, without being robotic and without being, he keeps it fresh every night and spontaneous, but he's so consistent. He's a remarkable kid. He is. And, and their relationship is incredible. And, you know, uh, on paper, you'd be like, this is really weird and it should be really weird. And in some ways it is really weird, but in all the ways that tell the story and not take you out of the story. And that is, uh, that's remarkable that you have been able to kind of finesse and sort of conduct this, this orchestra of, of storytellers in a way that you never go ew yeah like that's creepy they 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 don't really fall in love they fall in like right they they, it's it's deeper by the way you want them to fall in yeah I know an audience member you're like come on don't you see I know but they really what's we worked really hard at for that very reason you don't want it to feel icky you don't want it to feel but the what's really and in that there's a song anagram where he's solving this puzzle and and she's wa- solving her own puzzle. She's mm-hmm. like watching him and trying to figure out what this thing is that she's watching happen in front of her and what right. she's feeling. And it ends with just the simple words, "I like you." Yep. And that alone is a big deal for her to yeah. make a new friend. And. By the time well, you get the sense maybe she's never had any for, I mean, they, they're, they're kind of a husk, the, the family, they're a bunch of, they're grifters in a way, yeah. and they have to move around a lot, like electricity gets shut off and there's, they're, they're adorable con artists. And, yeah. you know, you get the sense like she, they're never settled long enough for her to even have a friend. So, I mean, I think the mom in me, like you just is so deeply affected by I mean I come to it as as someone who was a teenager as someone who has a teenager as someone who's just a human being on the planet and knowing that this person has a a terminal illness is um intense in a family that doesn't seem to be really concerned with that because they're so narcissistic in all their hilarious ways it is a comedy as well um anyway it's glorious and uh I I want to just kind of focus then on the the kind of uh 
I don't know, maturity, confidence. You know, we've all done a lot of shows as actors. We've all been in so many things. We're like, oh, if they would have just asked me. I mean, I've been <laughs> in companies where they're like, I don't know, I'm just doing my part. There are people who do not pay any attention to what the poster looks like, or maybe a good mark, or also like, why is the lighting? But if you are someone who has always been in a show and highly aware of the whole, um, directing might just be for you. How did you, uh, like, how did this begin, Jess? Because like, we were out there, you know, at the same time, having a delightful time. And then I like opened a newspaper and it was like, Jessica Stone is the hottest director in town. So what happened? Um, that's simply not true. And, but, and it is in my, in the book I'm writing. Okay. 100% what happened. Well, well, in earnest. So, so for reals. Um, the, I think it's, it was a little bit always there. I mean, I did this national tour of Bye Bye Birdie with uh, Tommy Toon and Anne Ranking. And I was 20 and uh, Gene Sachs directed. And I remember getting into a big fight with him in the hall because I did not agree with, they changed the costumes for telephone hour and they put us in these like really sexy little leggy outfits. And I was like, this is all wrong. This, we have to save this for a lot of living. Like I was completely got into big fight with him in the hallway. <laughs> and at the time he was kind about it. He was like, you know, I think you probably should direct. And I thought he was, and I think he probably was a little bit, um, you know, I thought he was just being a sarcastic smart ass and mm -hmm. I certainly threw it off and I didn't really, that wasn't something I was interested in. Right. Um, and over the years, I, I, it just wasn't something that occurred to me, but you know, as an act, you get to a certain point where it's like oh my god not as many roles there's not not as much to do have some downtime to sort of tend to and then when I finally do get something it's you have a call online too and like that's the extent <laughs> of the role and I'm yeah. not compelled by that right and uh so I remember going through I, I just hit a spot I was like oh my god I'm I don't know when the next job is and I was one of the lucky ones. I actually had done quite a bit of Broadway and, you know, I, I, I worked a fair amount, but I was dealing with this time. I was bored. And Chris, my husband was like, why don't you ask Joe Mantello if you can like observe him this summer at Williamstown? Cause Chris was going to be up there and Joe was um, directing zoo story, dumbwaiter this like evening of those one acts. And he, and he said, just see if you can just hang with him and just observe him. They have their assistants up there already, but like, see. And so Joe you knew said, Joe from? I had met, I met Joe through Chris. And then I met him. Um, we were actually up at Williamstown at the same time. I was in a show and he was directing something and we got on like a house on fire. Mm -hmm. And uh, And then I was in a couple of his shows designed for living an odd couple and so I we were just pals and so I I asked if I could just go and observe and I really dug it I got to watch uh Sam Rockwell and Jacqueline Ivanek do their thing in both of those plays and they were both beautiful and I really enjoyed it just made me feel like I was part of something even though I was just simply observing um and I thought that's all I needed. And so and then until my next job, 
And right. that is kind of what I did. And then I started assisting Nikki Martin and David Warren and Chris Ashley anytime I was between gigs. And I found it um, really inspiring and informative. And But I never really thought I was going to be a director. Mm-hmm. I think I abandoned poor David Warren in previews because I got some job and I was like, right. Hi, right. Um, just when you need me, see ya. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I... I uh, I just sort of approached it as something to keep me in a room because I needed it. And then I just had, I think I I had my babies and the kids were like, you know, two and just born. And Nikki Martin, who was a dear friend who ran, he was an actor and then a director for a long time and ran the Huntington and was running Williamstown. And he, um, I had been in many of his shows and I had assisted him on a couple of things and we were just very good friends. And he said, I'm going to do forum this summer at Williamstown and I want you to be in it. And I was, I just remember thinking, I do not like that. I don't know why I don't like that show, but I just don't like it. It's so drecky with the hottie, you know, the dumb hottie and the shrewish wife. And that's not my thing. Right. I was thinking more about it. And I was like, Nikki, you know what you should do? Cause you're that people are not, it's so creaky. Do it how Plautus would have done it because it's based on one of Plautus's shows. So, right. uh, so have it be all men and then they can be like kids in a sandbox playing all of those parts because those, all of those, you know, stereotypes that have been foisted upon us were foisted upon us by men who wrote them and played them. And it's not so fun playing the shrewish wife and the dumb hottie and the wordless courtesan. Like, I'm not into it. Like, let guys do it. They wrote it. Let them do it. And he said, you do it. And, you know, so I did. (laughs) So, and, and so it was, he offered me this main stage production. um, And it was, it was really fun. And I, you know, I know we're in all these, these, uh, changing times. I'm not even sure if we could do this right now, but it did end up neutralizing the sexism mm-hmm. and it did end up um, highlighting the comedy. And there is a difference between, you know, people were like, how is it going to work with hysterium and act two who puts on the dress and sings about being lovely of everybody else. But there is a difference between an actor who's actually playing a woman and an actor who's playing a man who puts on a dress and suddenly uh-huh. himself. So um, it, it worked and it was a ball um, and, and a hit and a hit. Yeah. It ended up being a hit for Williamstown. I, and it's so funny that, you know, it was only, what was that? Maybe 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And now I, I don't know that you could do it. I think we would have to come up with a whole other set of rules mm-hmm. um, to do it. But but it was really fun. It was really, really fun. And we had a ton of double casting. So Senex was vibrata the courtesan and the soldiers were actually hero and philia. And like we had a bunch of double casting. It was a really um it was a chance for such virtuosity for this yeah. guys. Yeah. Um, so it was really fun. So that was the first thing. And that's how I got my agent. And then that's how. That and went. it just kept going. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. were off, off to the races. When you look back to that time, were you, did you kind of sit in the chair and go, wow, this, this, this chair feels just right. Like, was it a kind of easy 
did you have imposter syndrome? Did you feel like this is a Williamstown is a second home for me? This is a safe place it for did. me to it's do it. Town, yes, but I I had imposter syndrome. I continue to have imposter syndrome. Like that happens every single day. That <laughs> right, regardless, yeah. like that's that's yes. not going anywhere. But um, it, it did feel good. The thing that I didn't realize, you know, you don't understand as an actor all of the prep leading up to the first day of rehearsal. And it was really eye-opening to me, at, you know, seeing that, oh my God, there are actors that show up on the first day and do the first table read and haven't read it yet. When right. I just spent like a year with this thing. But I I love collaborating with the set designer and the costume designer and the lighting designer. I love doing all of that stuff in advance. I love it. Uh, and I And there's a thousand problems that come up every single day. And for the most part, very Edith Ann right now. My nose is crazy. Um, for, the, for the most part, uh, I love that problem solving. Mm-hmm. And you're good at it, as Some, it turns out. Sometimes. Well, by the Have way, directed. Um, yes, but not on Broadway. That <laughs> well, doesn't mean anything. But yes, I mean yes, and I mean I think you know I've talked about this coming up through Naked Angels or any theater company. You really got a chance to do everything you can produce and you can and direct and so and teaching. I mean, there've been a lot of ways in which I've been able to kind of use all of my brain um, and just sit there in such relief that A, I don't have to be on stage right now and in complete awe of the people on stage. It's funny how you look at it and you go, how do you do that? Oh my God. Like, I feel like my aunt from Teaneck, right? Like, how do you learn all those lines? I um, know it's true. It's just go, wow, it is, it is, you're an astronaut. I could never be an astronaut. It is, it is um, the amount of respect you suddenly have um, when you kind of are sitting on the other side of the, of the stage. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing. But what's really interesting to me is hearing about all of these beloved people that we've known since we started out, all of whom were actors and then went on to have these unbelievable careers like Joe, like David, Nikki, who we lost um, sadly since all of his magic was, was on the planet. Um, Friends, friends saying, yeah, of course. And so much of that is because of how much they loved working with you. And, and it's such a lesson in kind of developing relationships with people, um, being a great collaborator, um, learning how, you know, all of those people can also be very, um, uh, they have reputations for being very demanding um, as directors and figuring out how to negotiate that with the friendship and the work, like it's, it's all the things and that you're that person now for people. Like, you know, I'm sitting here going, I would like to sit in a room when Jess is directing and observe and, and be a fly on the wall and see how you've taken your 10,000 hours as Malcolm Gladwell says, and now uses them in this whole new creative, beautiful way. Um, when we were emailing earlier, you, you said that you were going to be in rehearsal for water for elephants today. Could we do it later in the day? Can you t- talk a little bit about where you are in the process with that musical? Yeah, that it, it's an adaptation of the book and it's the polar opposite of 
Kimberly Akimbo in that Kimberly Akimbo is the small, uh, a small company set. And the story is, um, uh, it's not that the story is small, but um, it's contained. It's, it's contained, contained in a small, beautiful world. Yes. And Water for Elephants is more of a memory play and it's, it's, it's sort of mythic. And, um, and there's puppets and there's circus and there's choreo and there's project there's so there's a stampede, there's a train, it's like a whole thing. It's and a big show. It's a big show. And yet I don't want it to look big and bloated. It's a little bit like ducks that seem to be gliding along, but under the water, their feet are swimming really, really, right. really quickly. Um, and, uh, but it happened at the same time as Kimberly Akimbo. So the two, these two shows have been sort of chasing each other over the last four years because you've done product you did a production already uh no we or just workshop did, we just did a workshop presentation in in the spring it was right after right after Kimberly opened at the Atlantic I went into prep for this workshop um and then we opened Kimberly and now I'm in prep for we're going out of town with water for elephants but direct but you're rehearsing it in New York yeah, yeah. and can you say who has it been announced who's in this production? It hasn't been announced yet. Uh, we're going to the Alliance in Atlanta okay. first. Uh, so it hasn't been announced yet. It should be soon. So that uh, production is summer 2023? Yes. Okay. Just yeah. because this may be, someone might find this in 2027 or 3022. We don't know. It's and like so... archaeological dig. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like, who knows? Who knows yeah. when someone's going to hear this? But that's what you're working on today. When you yeah. talk about like in the world of directing, I guess it's sort of more akin to like very, very successful actors who have a slate of projects to come up. How many things do you know about right now that are coming up for you? And how many things are you working on right now? Uh, for me, three uh, which will sort of keep me busy for the next probably two years. Uh, but then little meetings for other things, but who knows? You but know. can you believe when you think back to being an actor, like how opposite that feeling was? Oh, and know. is this just, can you talk about what that feels like to be able to it, say that? It feels, that part feels amazing to know that, uh, to know that there's, stuff that's inspiring and interesting to work on and um and to have um you know groups of humans that different groups of humans that you collaborate with I mean yeah elephants is it's very different working on the score for elephants which is a band of seven guys the pig pen theater company they're wonderful yes Janine and David you know two very different uh kinds of storytellers and it's so fun that that part is really really fun have you ever had a moment where you're sitting there and you're the director so you're in charge of everything right like at the end of the day the final decision is yours um which doesn't mean you have not had the great joy of going yes and that's why I've hired the most stunning choreographer and lighting designer and set designer and costume designer and on and, and orchestra all of that but have you ever had a moment where like you're in rehearsal I would say there's an equivalent in the world of podcasting where I can't think of a word and it's very scary like sometimes language leaves me and my guests will be speaking and I'll be like wow I don't know English and I'm supposed to be 
coming up with a, a response to this, but your mind just can't figure out how to solve the puzzle in that moment. Do you ever have a moment where everyone in the room just turns to you and you're like, oh, it's me? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I will never forget actually the very first time I directed when I did forum. Yeah. We were in tech. And you know, when you're an actor, I'd spent all these years as an actor in tech. So you're on stage and you just kind of hang out while people light you and get the pressure sort of low for a while. Yeah. The actor, yeah. just kind of, and I didn't understand what happened to the director during tech. And so I walked on stage, Jeremy Seamus had a question for me and I walked on stage and he asked me a question and I actually was like, oh, I don't know. And I looked back out to the house for the director to tell me <laughs> what the answer was. I was like, oh God, that's me. Me, right. Jeremy, I'm going to get right back to you. Back Great to you. question. Yeah, I would say I tend to probably to a fault mm -hmm. over prepare for that very reason. Right. And because I hate that feeling of a hundred people looking at me right. and not being able to come up, you know, me not, it's not just not having an answer. That's okay. Cause you can yeah. say, I don't know yet. I'll get right. back to I'll you. Have to think about that. It's not understanding the question. <laughs> like that's right. really brutal. Oh, that's a light. That's a kind of light. Oh, yeah, no, there's terminology that I continue to not objections. There is Martian speak, and I don't know what they're talking about. Right. So that it's not understanding the question that's particularly yeah. humbling. That's the scary. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a tricky. I tend to over prepare and then I get to rehearsal and tech and I have to make room mm -hmm. for people to not not necessarily catch up, but um to have their process. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that comes from wanting to be a good girl. You know, when I ask, uh, when I ask artists sort of, I'm fascinated by, you know, Julie Taymor was on, I was like, okay, what is, what happens on the first day of a Julie Taymor rehearsal room or what, you know, kind of asking all these different people. Cause I feel like the first day, especially on a play, because you go in order on a film and TV set, your first day could be someone else's 40th day, but in rehearsal of a play, it really does. Um, and so there's the thrill of sort of all of the first day, you know, there's the model of the set and the costume designer brings out their sketches and it's so thrilling and it's the meet and greet and it's the bagels and it's all of that but then there's the director who is there to sort of make sure that we all understand what play we're in right like so the tone like we're all on the same project whatever we thought at home and so in a Jessica Stone rehearsal room on day one what what is your ritual or what is your thing? And maybe you got it from someone you worked with and you're like, I'm stealing that Nikki Martin or, or whatever it is. What it, is it? It's a Nikki Martin because he would always say, I'm not going to say much. Um, <laughs> because that is the single worst moment for a director is I have to do a once more onto the breach. I have yes. to like give the speech that's going to, you know, set everything in motion. And it's a little bit of a false expectation. Mm -hmm. It's like, say hi, welcome everybody, a sentence or two about what you're excited about and off you go because everyone really is ready to get back down to work. They don't or get to work. They don't need to hear you. Right. And, and so with Kimberly Akimbo, when you think back to the very first 
what did you say to get what everybody? The first day of rehearsal of Kimberly. Yeah. Uh, you know what we did? You know, when, when you're talking about at the Atlantic, right? When we first gathered. Yeah. Was we were one of the first, uh, we were one of the first shows to kind of start up. After, Come back after the pandemic. Yes, New York was just opening back up. And uh, I I wanted to acknowledge that there were five Broadway debuts or five New York theater debuts. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I said. It was as as New York was opening back up, we were welcoming these these beautiful new members of the family. Mm, incredible. Yeah. I can only imagine the day when the announcement, how did they find out that it was going to Broadway? How did the company find he, out? Uh, David Stone wanted to tell everybody. So he he gathered us all through a Zoom and uh, and shared the news. They were That's really so excited. cool. Yeah. That's so cool. All right. Well, before I let you go, um, you've been very generous with facts already, but is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Well, one disgusting one is I've been quietly blowing my nose through this entire podcast. That's a disgusting one. The flip end of that is I really love products. I love, and now it doesn't matter because I can't smell any of them, but I love like lotions and perfumes and I love products because I think it's like, you know, the five minutes a day that's like just for me. Your self-care. Yeah. You so take it I, seriously. I take it seriously. So I love a cream. I love a, you know, the spritz of that. And that I'm just, I'm like a product princess. Um, right. Jessica Stone, to say I'm proud of you uh, is the understatement of the century, but the pride I feel in telling people that I've known you for so long and watch you from a distance just um, explode artistically in so many beautiful ways. And, and also to think back to really the first thing I saw you in, in your indelible, comedic, brilliant performance, your voice, your, your comedic timing is impeccable. I mean, you're such a gifted person. You're such a gifted human, generous human, and just your spirit, your soul, your talent is just um, remarkable. So thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you for having me. That's embarrassing to hear. (laughs) I hope you feel better. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to see your face and let's have coffee soon because now I have to ask you a lot of questions. Okay. Okay. We will do that. Little known fact, now you can watch hours and hours of my interviews with your favorite artists as they talk about the art they love to make on YouTube. That's right. I have a YouTube channel. It's called Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Subscribe and enjoy. Little Known Fact, if you want to donate to the podcast, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Thank you so much in advance for your generosity. Have a great day. This 
episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.